0: All right. Well, hello, everybody uh, listening. Uh, This is AJ, and I'm here with Pastor Bill. Pastor Bill, how you doing today? I'm doing well. Yeah. Well. Yes. Well, it's it's shortly before Thanksgiving. Do uh, just curious do you you or your family have any interesting Thanksgiving traditions that you always do? Or
1: I I don't know that there's anything especially interesting, but uh, I do love to smoke our turkey. On the grill.
0: A smoked so, turkey is the yes, way to go.
1: That's we've done that for a long time. Can't that's get away awesome. from it. <laughs> that's awesome.
0: My 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 favorite turkeys have been smoked and then uh we've had some good fried turkeys. Oh yes. I've not tried that yet. As well. So we got it from Bojangles. So oh. <laughs> Bojangles knows how to fry it up. Yeah. But mm-hmm. um well anyways, today we uh are recording really kind of a, a special um podcast episode here. Um, I think it was two Fridays ago um, that you led through the seminars. Is that right? Yes. Two, yeah. yeah. So uh, we've been doing our, our equip seminars once a month. And uh, really, these are to really equip uh, our people um, to think biblically about a variety of topics and to engage uh, culture and world and, again, you know, just a variety of topics um, with a biblical mindset on those. And so. Past couple of months, we, we've tackled a few different things, um, getting into philosophy. And then um, this one for this month, you led us through the book, um, Love Thy Body by Nancy Piercy. And um, I, I just, it, it's a phenomenal book for those listening. If, if you haven't um, read it, you'll, you'll get really a, a summary of that today yeah. as we talk. Um, but the reason we're doing this, uh, kind of recording this as a a podcast is, uh, we did this two weeks ago and I just simply forgot to hit record. So, (laughs) you know, you missed that and there's no way to go back to that. So we're going to record it. And, uh, but hopefully this will be kind of a conversational approach for those of you who are listening. Um, hopefully you can follow along, uh, with this. And, And one other thing I'll mention before getting into this is that um, you can find a, a PDF of the notes that we put together for this on our website. Um, that'll probably be very helpful in walking through this because there's some visual elements to that um, that I think will help. Um, unless, you're, unless you've read the book and you're kind of familiar with that, you may be fine without it, but the, but those will, will help for sure. So, um, Bill, let me just just ask you as we start this, um, just kind of briefly, like, why do we need this book? Like, what, what, what does it give us? What do we need from it? Yeah, That's a
1: good question. I've, the first thing that comes to my mind is, um, I can't remember exactly where it is in the scripture, but uh, the Bible tells us that as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Yeah. And uh, maybe that's uh, nowhere, well, in so many areas of our life, it's extremely profound, but especially how we view our body. And especially in today's culture, how we view our body and what it means to be a person, a human being—even it it sounds so fundamental—but our cultural answer to that question is um, incredibly skewed, to say the least. And uh, such been a helpful thing about this book is to to begin to understand more about how we got here Uh how how did we get to this point um where it's so far removed from what the scripture says uh even though at times using some maybe similar (laughs) language yeah 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 using the same language but
0: different definition yes Um, yes it's really actually deceptive yeah uh, yeah. to do that and um you know it's it's interesting timing uh, of how the lord just orchestrates things um this past Sunday, uh, you know, I had the opportunity to preach, and so much of that passage in First Corinthians six just lines up so much with what Nancy Piercy yes talks about in this book. Very much so. Um, just yeah. it was phenomenal. That that was really helpful for me, and and I think even for folks who are, were here or listening to the sermon Sunday, if if you're listening to this now as a follow-up to that, this they just go together so well. Yes. Um, so I hope that'll be helpful. Um, one of the things you started with in the seminar was Romans 12, and I'm just going to read that and, and kind of let you take it from there. Why, why, why starting with this, this passage? Romans 12, to 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern, what is the will of God? What is good and acceptable and perfect?
1: Mm. Yeah. Challenging verse. Yeah. Challenging verse. But uh, it's especially interesting in light of the whole context of Romans where Paul talks about the, the glorious power of the gospel mm. and what Jesus has done. Uh, but also the what we would call the total depravity yeah. of man. You know, man, there's enough in creation to see God. Uh, and to see that there is a creator, but man is not thankful. He doesn't worship God, and God gives him over. And you see all kinds of horrible things that Paul describes happening, which is exactly what we see in our day. And as he continues writing the letter and explains about our sinful nature and explains what Jesus has done, then to come to this point and say, in light of everything I've been teaching you, I want to appeal to you to uh, uh, what's the only logical response to this Uh the only worthy response it's to uh, present your bodies as a living sacrifice Paul recognizes very clearly um, the doctrine that's taught all the way back in Genesis that we are living souls yeah God created Adam out of the dust of the earth and then he breathed into him the breath of life yeah so if we don't start with we are uh, made in the image of God and that we are composed of two parts. We are body and, body soul, and soul, but not those are not separated. Those are right. integrated. Yeah. It's an embodied soul. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think here in Romans, what Paul says helps bring that together. Present your bodies a living sacrifice by renewing your minds. Mm-hmm. It's so mm-hmm. it's it's how you think, how you approach, how you understand, how you interpret. Life, yeah, uh, that affects how you live your life, right? Right. So that's what Nancy's driving at. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> in, good in her, in her book. Yeah. yeah, and that's
0: you know I think that sums up well. I mean, what what our hope and goal is through this is that we would have renewed minds, as, specifically as we think about our bodies or right. who we are as people, as humans, yeah. uh, but also in, in things you mentioned um, were you know goals to to understand worldview, to understand culture, kind of understand the the sea that we're swimming in, um, so to speak, to understand um, the nature of man. As you just said, we are embodied souls. We're we're body and soul together. Uh, you listed also to see scripture as authority, uh, or as a, yeah as authority sufficient and effective. Um, that scripture is the place we go, um, rather than our own thoughts or cultural thoughts or you know philosophers. It's it's ultimately scripture. Um, but then also, and I think this is really helpful, and we'll, we'll touch on this as we go throughout this. But to move towards loving engagement, um, yes. and it's you know it's one thing, and we want to grow in our understanding of these things. But this is also um, a, a missional thought or a, a hospitable thought that this actually helps us to love our neighbor yes. well mm-hmm. as we understand what's going on kind of underneath the surface. Mm-hmm. So, um, right. well, let me let me ask you, and, and you know, folks will, will listen, and, and I don't know, we we'll, we're shooting. I don't know, 45 minutes or give or take 10 minutes, something like that. Mm-hmm. But just to start kind of getting, getting into the book, how, how would you, uh, you know, in as brief a way as you can, how would you just sum up what Nancy Piercy's driving at in this book? What's, what's kind of the, the cliff note version of, of this book?
1: Uh, I, I think that um, basically she is seeking to understand why people think the way they do. And especially, um, not only how people justify their own actions, but um, that insistence that they have on being recognized and supported in what they do and, and why they believe that is such a, we maybe call it a fundamental right. Mm. You can't challenge me. You can't correct me. Yeah. This is how it is because it's how I think and how I feel. Mm. And uh, so she's seeking to explain what lies behind that thinking and how we can address that thinking with scripture yeah. and have that loving engagement that right. you made reference to it it's not just to say look how stupid these right. other viewpoints are it's to say look at how unsatisfying how how depressing these yeah. views are yeah. uh, only the scripture has a view that truly satisfies the human heart. Yeah. And I think even in that, we see evidence of a kind, holy, <laughs> and also benevolent, sovereign creator mm-hmm. who made everything. We, we were made by God to know him. Yeah, And when we try to veer from that, uh, we get into uh, all kinds of really bad places. And so I think she's seeking to explain that again, not in a way to attack, but mm-hmm. to say, let's understand so that we can engage, yeah. and so that we can show them that uh, what their 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 deepest longings, yeah, um, that are good,
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: are for something that only the Scripture addresses and gives guidance to.
0: Yeah, I think that's, that's helpful. It's it's really that she's um, kind of pulling the veil back so that we can mm-hmm. see what's what's behind it yes understand that and that helps us um in our own understanding but as you said you know to to engage with others in, and, and i think i think uh, as one of our elders ken in in our discussion the other night even mentioned at the end of um really we would all this isn't to say hey look at how stupid these views are but but really he pointed out um that This shows us where we would be were it not for God's rescue yes. of us and our, our thinking as part absolutely. of that. Yeah. Um, so it should grow gratitude, not pride. Mm-hmm. Um, if it gr- grows pride, there's there's something off.
1: Yes, there. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, too, that it, it can also help us see where some of our thinking is unbiblical. Right. We may not have taken it to the same extreme.
0: Right. But these the issues
1: 10. fundamentally yeah. have to do with what our, our hearts love. And how that that love, that desire in our heart for certain things or for certain freedoms causes us to interpret God's Word in certain ways. Yeah. And we need to get back to what does Scripture actually say yep. <laughs> and seek to conform all of our thinking and doing yeah. to what God says. It will also help us be prepared. I mean, we live in a time when both uh, from uh, educational institutions and from social media, from, from every different angle, we are bombarded mm-hmm. with uh, a view that doesn't line up with what Scripture says is true. Mm-hmm. And that's where Nancy starts. Uh, right. How do you know truth? Right? What is truth? Right. Uh, which is an excellent beginning point.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. And so we'll, we'll start going through your, your notes in the book here. So chapter one of her book really um, is kind of the the introduction, the 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 foundation, um, the worldview perspective um, that she covers. And if you if you if you don't want to read the whole book, go read chapter one because um, yeah. it gives you at least the the understanding. And then chapters two to seven, she takes that and applies it to a different issue in each mm-hmm. chapter. Um, and, we'll, and we'll get to those. But um, just thinking of kind of that really chapter one and the foundation she lays. What you know, she makes reference to Francis Schaeffer. She makes reference to truth. Um, kind of, What are the foundations here yeah. as we get into this?
1: The, I think the, the big picture, if we step back, is uh, there at, at one time, uh, you know, years and years ago, there, there used to be a, at least a somewhat generally accepted view of truth, which said we, we look at what is observable in the world around us, and we also look at what has been revealed to us uh, in the Bible. And we take those two things and seek to integrate them, and that helps us to understand truth. Um, theologically, we would say general revelation mm-hmm. in nature, special revelation in Scripture. Um, but that, that view of, of truth um, became more and more questioned. And uh, there were those who said, uh, hey, the only thing that is true is that which we can measure objectively science Mm -hmm. facts Mm -hmm. observation of this physical world that that's uh, that's that's truth and then they would say there's another type of truth that applies to things like morals and values and you you kind of have your own authority to establish that and it, it may or may not line up with the factual realm, but that's okay. You can have these two different strands. And so Francis Schaeffer said, he, he had the uh, illustration of it: mm-hmm. two-story house. The upper yeah. story is the moral yeah. values. Uh, the lower story is the facts or science, yeah. um, the more objective. And uh, of course, the, the problem with that is saying that somehow there's these two different realms of truth. <laughs> well, which one has the upper hand? Yeah. And so that... As philosophy developed that idea further, and uh, more and more people thought about it and, and wrote on it, you, uh, the, those who wanted to emphasize more of the scientific side of it, that led to the uh, Enlightenment and modernism, um, which basically said the only way to arrive at truth is by studying mm-hmm. things around us. Mm-hmm. What you can measure empirically uh, validate uh, that's truth. The other, it's not. It may be true for you, but it, it doesn't really have any weight for anybody else. With everybody else, yeah. And yeah. Uh, reaction against that was uh, what you would call the romantic uh, approach or postmodernism, mm-hmm. which put all the emphasis on values. Um, we only arrive at truth by identifying within ourselves mm-hmm. the definition of rights, morals, freedom, justice. Uh, they would say, "Yeah, not only does every person have their own, their own truth, but every person must be respected for it." So, science is not as important. Facts are not as important. Those those are only things we see around us, and uh, they're really not actually facts. They're just our interpretation right. of right. those facts. So, it, the the meaning is going to continue to change. Yeah, you, you can't. You just can't on it. So again, there's the separation of one over the other, which view uh, is going to have precedence. Um, But then it gets even worse because now it's not just a matter of which view has precedence, but pretty much personhood theory, which is prevalent today, says the only thing that matters is what we believe. Uh That, That which is scientific, the facts... Those things that you can validate and measure that way, they really have no bearing on truth, on ultimate truth. It is up to you. Yeah. What you think, what you feel, that's it. Yeah. So uh, that has a lot of repercussions, a lot of ripples to that. How, how do we, uh, and that's where the name of her <laughs> book comes from. Right. Love to Thy Love Thy Thy body. Body. Because what that view ultimately does is say the body is nothing but. Biology—it's raw material. It just doesn't matter. Uh-huh. And uh, so then she takes those chapters, like you said, and and she breaks down a lot of areas that are controversies today, but not so much controversies by the main culture, yeah. cultural viewpoint. Yeah, it's for them it's established fact. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, but for us it's a controversy right. because what is proclaimed as truth goes so much against god's word and it it is so harmful mm-hmm. to people mm-hmm. it hurts it destroys mm-hmm. it kills yeah that viewpoint there are consequences to yeah. what we think yeah and um, but i don't see that um anywhere so clearly as in our culture at large yeah our society at large
0: I think it's really helpful to put it that way and um, as others have said, ideas have consequences yes and I mean the, the positive side of that maybe we could even think back to Romans 12 right that you know um, that our that not our minds would be renewed And yeah. so God is, is wanting to renew our minds, our thinking, our ideas uh, and that that yields consequences positively as we're yes. redeemed and, and God sanctifies us um, but where you're touching on here, is that these ideas, they're not just ideas, they're not just um, ways that we view things differently, but they actually have very real consequences. They result in pain, they result in death, they mm-hmm. result in tragedy, in misunderstanding, in shame. All, all sorts of different things come from this. And um, I just want to say for folks listening, if you've know if you heard Francis Schaefer refer to this upper story, lower story, or Nancy Piercy or others, Um, this is probably making sense. If this is the first time you've ever heard these concepts that you may need to pause. Um, I remember the first time I heard them, I had to take a little bit of time to really get my head wrapped around what was being said. Um, but in essence, the the upper story is subjective. It's personal, it's private. Um, other people can't touch it (laughs) Mm. or impose upon it, but you also can't impose it on others. It's, you know, it's kind of your own private sphere. But the lower story is, is public. It's scientific. It's objective. It's verifiable. All those things. Um, and, and I think one of the ironies in this, that at least as it appears to me, is that um, that what appears to be more stable truth, in kind of to use the this this way of thinking's terms, the more stable truth of the scientific, that actually gets trumped by the. Um, the feeling of truth or my own perspective on truth, the subjective, like it, it, it predominates over the verifiable, um, which is really interesting um, to see that. But I just, if, if y'all look, look at the notes, um, listen back to this. If you're, if you haven't, if this is still kind of fuzzy, you may want to pause and just just think about it a little bit, see some of the notes. Um, But it'll also make more sense as we apply it to some of these areas. I think that'll really help flesh it out as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, but, and before we get into those areas, just, just kind of, you know, the personhood theory, which you made a reference to, um, splits body and person. And so mm-hmm. who I am as a person, who who I am as my authentic self, who I really am, um, is, is different and detached from and independent from my body. And that's, right. that's the essence of personhood theory. And so, right. um, there's that, that separation between myself and my body. And so how, just again, just briefly, we won't touch on everything, but how is that in contrary to biblical teaching? Like mm. what, what does the Bible actually teach about who we are and kind of this body person idea?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, scripture is very clear that uh, when God made us in his image, again, created man from the dust of the earth, and breathed into man uh, and man became a living soul uh, so God has made our bodies God is very concerned with the physical world mm-hmm. God sent his son Jesus to take on a human fleshy yeah. body right uh, that shows the level of um, care is not a strong enough word <laughs> it's um, honor yeah but, but, yeah honor and and the way that God condescended to us in sending His Son in the flesh yeah. is incredible, and um, you know throughout the Scripture you, you see people dressed in both their their body and their. That we might say the outer man and the inner man. Mm-hmm. You know, the scripture uses yep. terms like heart right. and soul and mind right. very interchangeably. Uh-huh. Um, it refers to that part of you that's on the inside. That uh, we would say the real you. Mm-hmm. And we uh, now I want to be careful <laughs> using that term, <laughs> right? Right? Because yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's very true that if I'm in an accident on the way home and I get paralyzed and can't move from the neck down, I will still be who I am. Right. Even though my body's not functioning well. Right. But if my body totally shuts down and there's no biological life yeah. present, then I am separate. My my spirit goes to be with God. Yeah. And my body returns to the dust. Yeah. From yeah. where it came. And, um, uh, so, but still <laughs> that, that, um, the The point of all that is simply that I am more than my body,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: I'm not less than my body yeah.
0: Uh, so, yeah,
1: and right. Um, if If you don't understand that correctly, your view of life is going to be just all over the place. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, you, you can come to all kinds of incredibly foolish and unhelpful um, thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> And actions and words if you if you carry that out so uh, god views us as as a body and soul Uh, we're created to live forever with him one day we will have resurrected bodies yeah and even though our but our bodies will be different but we'll still be who we are right on the inside so they're not we're an integrated whole and uh you know one of the things i said that friday night I don't know if I made a big enough deal of it, but that's one of the reasons that death is such a horrible thing. Mm. So that's not how things were supposed mm. to be from the beginning. Yeah, Sin brought death. Yeah, And death brings that separation of the body and the soul. And uh, the, the view that we get in Scripture of what, what it's like now for those who have died trusting in the Lord Jesus, they are in God's presence and they are... You know, we get that one view in Revelation. They're they're asking how long? Yeah. Even creation itself, Paul says in Romans, things are, are broken. They're not how they should be. There's death. Yeah. And and creation itself longs for and groans, mm. groans for our resurrection. Mm-hmm. So again, if if our bodies weren't important, I don't think there would be a resurrection.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: And one of the main things of the gospel is Jesus not only lived the perfect life and went to the cross and bore in his body the payment for our sin and was died and, and died and was buried, but he did rise again.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And he was raised in a resurrected you know, a body. body. Body that could be recognized.
0: Right. Right.
1: Body that could take in food. Yeah. Body that could be touched. Yeah a body that could also all of a sudden appear in the middle of a locked room. Yeah, yeah, right, right. <laughs> and then disappear. Yeah. I mean, we, we can't even begin to explain what this imperishable body uh-huh. is really going to be like. Yeah. But we do know that the day is coming when God's going to totally put away all sin. There won't be any evidence of it anymore. No yep. influence of it. And what will we be? People in resurrected bodies. bodies.
0: <laughs> and so it's so helpful uh, yeah even to think about revelation and the picture we have yeah. that um we'll be physical we'll be bodily and that the new heavens and new earth is physical yeah. like it's <laughs> yeah. it's not just some ethereal spiritual realm that you can't touch no like god actually is going to remake renew the yes. new heavens and the new earth and we'll yeah. be there in our, our new bodies. so yes um, that, that's that's a good good helpful start as we get into this. Well, let's let's get into some of the issues. So, chapter two, she talks about abortion. Chapter three, she talks about euthanasia, um, and there's a lot of overlap in these two chapters. I mean, mm-hmm. the, they're really both about life and death, um, yes, and on the absolutely. front side of life and on the back side mm-hmm. of life. Um, but and so there's a lot of what she talks about that applies in both categories, but. Um, can you just, whether you do it through both of them or just kind of pick one and then we'll tack on the other at the end, but can you just walk us through, um, how we're to think about, um, life and death?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I will try to just kind of combine them because both of them are really about defining when is a person alive? Mm -hmm. What does it mean to be a person? Yeah. (laughs) You know, all, all of this, uh, uh, the, the understanding of who we really are as human beings is so significant because it affects how we determine when is a person alive, right? right? When do they have value? How, how do we look at anthropology, the study of man? Yeah. What is man? Yeah, What is he really? Well, if he is body and soul, then we have to consider questions of life and death. And early on, uh, when uh, after abortion was first legalized in Roe v. Wade, um, a a lot of the conflict, I guess you would say, or uh, how things were often presented, is that hey, this 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 child in the womb is not actually a living soul yet. Mm-hmm. At, at like some life point, life hasn't begun. Yet, yeah, life something. has not begun. Well, now fifty years later. Um, Nancy makes reference to this in her book, and I think she's correct. No, no respected bioethicist, whether they're a believer or not, uh, disagrees with the fact that life begins at conception. Mm-hmm. Um, not to be too graphic, but one of the illustrations I love in her book is that scientists have found that when the sperm unites with the egg, there's a spark. <laughs> That's fascinating That's to yeah. me. Yeah, Just incredible. Right. But life begins. Begins So in the reasoning for Roe v. Wade, um, part of what had to be decided is not so much the question of life, but the question of, is that life a person? Mm-hmm. And the justice who wrote the decision for Roe v. Wade, that's one of the things that he made very clear, because I'm not sure if it was in the actual reasoning or in later correspondence, but what he basically said was, That this life, this decision is not about when life begins. Life does begin at conception, but the question is personhood. And if you can establish that that life is a person, then the Fourteenth Amendment would apply, and that life would be protected. Yeah. But if it's not a person yet, then the Fourteenth Amendment doesn't apply, and that. Basically, was the reasoning yeah. uh, that they came out with at the end mm-hmm. to, to, in order to legalize abortion, right, and give the states rights to do that. Right. So it uh, is it, it's, it's hugely important this issue because now the measurement for when you're a person is not some biological evidence of of life, uh-huh. but rather some level of cognitive ability. Mm-hmm. That, that you recognize you're alive, that you're able to make decisions, and so on and so forth. Um, so um, at first, when review Wade was passed. Um, first three months, abortion was okay. Second three months, some limitations. Mm-hmm. Last three months of pregnancy, a whole lot of limitations, reflecting that they thought that that personhood was a developing process yeah. And the baby in the womb. Yeah. So uh, now uh, those who would advocate for abortion, they've been pushing that um, threshold of what it means to be a person farther and farther. Um, does a baby in his mother's womb with Down syndrome, mm. that's, you know, that it's not really a person because there's right. something that's harming the. Uh, the value of that life or the satisfaction of that life, for the potential happiness of that life. So if there is anything that we can arbitrarily throw in there to say, this is actually a life that qualifies as a person. Mm -hmm. So that gives them the greater freedom. That's why you can hear some abortion advocates say, or promote the idea of abortion right up till birth or even after. Um, That's why Mm -hmm. in many countries of the world, um, Abortion can be done on the basis of gender.
0: Mm.
1: It's not a question of, is there life there? Mm -hmm. Is is that life really a person yet? Well, I can make that determination. This baby doesn't, you know, it's not a fully independent. And then you shared with me how you had a discussion with someone about their definition of when is life able to sustain itself. Right. And so it's not taking life until after that point. But as you pointed out, there's a whole lot of people who can't live without the help of right. others. Who are not fully it's just, independent. Yeah. It's just a matter yeah. of degrees.
0: Yeah, right.
1: None of us are truly, truly independent. Um, so th- this whole thing is to say that the body is just biology parts. It's an expendable organism. The, somehow we have to define when that person is actually a person. right. right. And so, you know, that flows into all kinds of other things like euthanasia. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if, uh, if this person is in a coma and doesn't seem to be able to fend for themselves, well, let's just get rid of that life. Then. Yeah. They're, they're no longer a person. Yeah. Even though their body looks like a person, even though their heart is pumping, yeah. all these other things, it's no longer a person. So as soon as you say that that determination of personhood is this arbitrary, kind of subjective thing, then it opens the doors for all kinds of abuses. Yeah, and um, yeah, that that hits very close to home. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know families who have children <laughs> who have Down syndrome, and those are precious, precious children mm-hmm. that those families would be would really miss out if their son or daughter had been aborted yeah. and wasn't there now. Yeah, I, I, right. I know other families whose children, for, for various reasons, may never get beyond the mental abilities of a three-year-old. Mm-hmm. But that child brings joy mm-hmm. to that family.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, I know of one in particular who, by everything we can tell, she loves Jesus, even mm-hmm. though to talk to her, you would think she doesn't understand more than what a two or three year old would understand sure. and can't fully communicate. Right. It's evident in talking to her that she knows and loves Jesus and she brings joy to everybody. Yeah. That she's around. So why should that young woman be considered not, not a person? person. Yes. Yeah. Horrible. Uh, that's why a lot of you know folks who uh, formerly promoted abortion, uh, uh, there are various women authors who were uh, you know very much uh, feminists mm-hmm. and in favor of abortion become pregnant. They say <laughs> they'll write articles saying this totally changes their view of that life within yeah. them. Yeah. But then they can get to the end of the article and say, however, <laughs> that that's a life that I might have to be willing to kill. I'm not going to deny it's a life, but it's not yet
0: it's a person. Not a person. Um,
1: so, a lot of, a uh, lot of ripples yeah. for that one too. But it, life and death, right, does matter. In order to make those decisions, it it matters how do you view a person. Yeah. What does it mean to be a person? Yeah. A human being.
0: Yeah. That's. Yeah. I just I appreciate you walking us through that, and even. Um, and hearing you, you summarize the thoughts, but also um, the the heart, the emotion, the love behind it as well, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think in, in essence, what's going on in these life and death conversations is at some point w- we have to answer the question who qualifies as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, you you would think the question might be what qualifies as a person, mm-hmm. and it, you know, and that's uh, maybe how we would approach it. Well, if, <laughs> is it a human? That's that's a person because in Genesis we read that God made man and woman in his image yes. and so like as a human every human is made in the image of God therefore every human is worthy of honor and dignity and yeah. rights and all those things because that's how the Lord has made us but with this what we see with this this two story divide is people are answering the question of who qualifies who has earned yeah. the status of personhood and they have Mm -hmm. to point, you mentioned, um, some level of cognition, some level of, of self-awareness, some level of independence, or Mm -hmm. they have to draw a line somewhere. Um, but it's very subjective. Um, it's very, um, and you talk to 10 different people and you're going to get 10 different answers on where that line is. And, um, I mean, I, th- I think it's it's scary in many ways to think about because if somebody else is deciding who qualifies as a person, who who's going to stop them from continuing to push that line further and further yes. and further along? That's right. Um, and so right. Uh, for me, this is even reading this chapter and hearing you the other night was very helpful um, because I used to think, and, and you referenced this, that really the abortion conversation was one about life. Like when does life start, which is really a biological question. Like when is, when is life a life? But as she references, and as you said, it's not about life. It's about personhood. It's about who qualifies. When does, when does someone qualify as a person? And that has helped me even um, thinking about uh, how does this help us engage with others? It's helped me engage with others um, in a, a better way. Um, because you can actually get at some of the like, you can drive to that point mm-hmm. of well, what, where is your line? If you're if you're a proponent of abortion or euthanasia or something like that, where where do you draw the line of personhood? Yeah, and, and you can be you can talk about it at that level and present scripture, biblical truth, um, and even and she does this throughout the book. She brings scripture into this, but even if we if, if we just were in a conversation and, and, and we didn't bring scripture into it. We can just point to biology that biologically a a human <laughs> begins when that sperm and that egg or that yeah. sperm fertilizes the egg. Like that's, that's a human biological life. Yeah. And so we're, uh, from a biblical perspective, are doing no different than we would do from a biological perspective. Yeah. And I think that's very interesting because the other side, the personhood theory side, they have to draw the line. Not on biology, not on scripture, but really on their own subjective interpretation of where they think the line should be. Right.
1: And it's constantly moving.
0: Right. Constantly. Yeah.
1: Um, I think I made reference that uh, Friday night when we were doing the seminar. One of the examples that Mrs. Piercy gives is uh, some modern day bioethicists who actually advocate things such as, and I don't remember the gentleman's name, but He says that uh, animals show more awareness of their own life and fight to preserve their life when infants don't. And therefore, his conclusion is it would be more humane if we didn't use animals in research, but used babies.
0: It's unbelievable somebody would say that.
1: Yeah. How in the world do you get there? But
0: that is where
1: you go if you... If you don't have an <laughs> right. objective measurement, and if you don't understand that that being a human being is it's a very wonderfully complex mm-hmm. and in some ways mysterious union yeah. of body and soul, right, right, and if if, if you lose that, then there's no telling where you'll go. And and really, when you think about it, behind a lot of the issues of racism mm-hmm. and slavery, right, child yeah, trafficking, yep. all the things that are, are going on, at, at some level, it, it comes down to this lack of understanding, well, what qualifies as a person?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and to our shame, the church in general has not always spoken clearly about that. Yeah. Yeah. And shame on us. Yeah. Shame on us for not saying every person created in the image of God, regardless of their skin color, regardless of their economic status, mm-hmm. regardless of you know the fact that we live in a world broken by sin means there are going to be some children who are born with various, whether you want to call it deformities or handicaps or. Things that just don't work right—that right. Right. is going to happen, right? Because we're in a broken world. But that doesn't make them less yeah. of a human being. Not at all. Uh, not not in in any way. So it's hugely important, man.
0: Another thing is you were saying that another um, way, that, another category that I think people have used is usefulness. Yeah. Um, that that someone really only qualifies as a person if they're useful, and I, I think you get that more on the euthanasia side. Yes. Of this question. Um, but who gets to determine usefulness? And, and secondly, yeah. Scripture—I mean, it speaks to the usefulness of people. But the basis isn't of our dignity is not our usefulness. The basis of our dignity is that God made us in His image. Yes, um, it's about who we are, not what we do. Yeah. And I think that's very helpful as well. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, well, let's let's move to to chapters four and five. Sure. Uh, sure. So chapters four and five. Uh, really, chapter four deals with um, sexuality and, um, kind of rampant, uh, sexual morality and, and kind of sexuality, anything goes chapter five deals specifically with homosexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, and so these two are linked, uh, obviously and just under the umbrella of sexuality. So, uh, can you just, you know, walk us through how this, how she walks through, um, this grid in terms yeah. of sexuality?
1: And absolutely. And, and really it kind of connects with, uh, Chapter seven as well on transgenderism. Uh-huh. So I, I think we could, Yeah, you'd mentioned before, Put maybe we can lump these together. Yeah. I, I really think all three could come together. Yeah. Um, but basically, if our bodies are totally separate from our persons, which is what personhood theory is, then we can do as we please with our body, and it doesn't affect who we really are. Mm-hmm. So there's no limits. We're just totally free. You know, our, our bodies are just... Um, biological pieces and, uh, and and we can use them without affecting who we really are as a person so to use the upper story mm-hmm. lower story thing there's a separation between the mental and emotional relationship and the physical relationship and personhood theory would say you can do whatever you want physically and it's not going to hurt the real you uh, the reality is that even with um uh, all of the so-called freedom, sexual freedom Mm -hmm. in our culture. People are ending up uh, empty and lonely and despairing without emotions. They don't know how to relate to one another. Uh, Hookup culture is just go ahead and enjoy any physical pleasure you want. You, You very intentionally it's not just that it's it's okay for it to be separate from a relationship. You intentionally do not right. cultivate a relationship in any way yeah. with this other person. Yeah, it's just get physical needs met and go on. That's it. And,
0: and one of the things just to jump in, <laughs> that, that was interesting in that section is um, she she quotes several people who were interviewed or in magazines or whatnot who are kind of living that out of sex is just physical. It's just sexual. It's not emotional or or anything like that. And the reality was like that they're trying to live that out, but, but reality is confronting them differently. Yeah, They're being confronted with the reality that sex is way more than just a physical thing. Yes. Um, And so they're, they're the the worldview that they're bringing or believing or that magazines are putting forward is not lining up with what they are actually living out.
1: That's right. That was interesting. That's right. The experience is, is far Far different. It was, uh, you know, it's fascinating in the sermon that you preached Sunday in that section of 1 Corinthians six, where Paul talks about uh, sexual sins being against the body. Mm-hmm. He said it's unlike other sin, and and the reason that he gives is that in intimate in physical intimacy there is a joining. Um, God's design is that. There's a man who will leave his father and mother, mm-hmm. and he will hold fast to his wife, and the two of them will become one flesh. And that one flesh pictures that covenantal relationship of husband and wife, and it, in some way it pictures spiritual things at far yeah. greater depth than than we realize. But yeah. it it doesn't just picture them; it actually produces a oneness. Yeah, and uh, you know, Paul says, kind of. Can a man who professes Christ unite with a prostitute and not be uniting that prostitute with Christ? Don't you see what's wrong with this? Paul says he's incredulous. Yeah, which you know it's kind of a good reminder to us that these issues are not new. Mm -hmm. We may have Mm -hmm. may have fancier words and expressions of it, but they're not brand new issues. It is the same stuff, and so it it's just a, a flat out lie that's being promoted that. You can cut off the physical from the mental and the emotional, the spiritual. Mm-hmm. It's, you can't.
0: Yeah.
1: People are trying, but they can't. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. Um, I mentioned in the seminar that night, uh, the two biggest prescriptions on college campuses mm. are uh, birth control pills and antidepressants. Because people are um, just want to do whatever they want to do with uh-huh. their body, saying that there's no effect on who they really are. And and the fact, the objective truth, facts, reality, <laughs> just doesn't line up with that. Yeah. Uh, so, but those who would advocate personhood theory would say, "Well, that's just your interpretation of those facts. They aren't really facts. All that exists is your interpretation." Yeah. So, even though the evidence is there, it's not. It's not real. Yeah. Um, so. You can kind of see the progression though if, if that is true of our heterosexual relationships mm-hmm. we can just do whatever mm-hmm. we want with our with our bodies and it doesn't matter well it has to progress to not only can I do whatever I want that still works with the physical design of my body <laughs> yeah. but now I can go against the physical design of my body because I'm you know it, it is just parts and pieces and i can use it however i want yeah i i don't have to go with what is designed yeah um by the way one other thing just about the connections is some of the most recent scientific research and piercing mentions this uh, shows that uh, in the physical activity of physical intimacy there are chemicals released in our bodies that create bonding Mm -hmm. (laughs) belonging for bonding
0: yeah
1: and um all of that is part of our design. Well now to promote homosexuality, you, you you have to take that farther step of it really doesn't matter about the design. It doesn't yeah. matter about the nurture. All that matters is some gratification yeah. of the flesh. So I can use these parts however I want right because' it's, uh, it's not who I really am on the inside. It's just this outward physical body that yeah. I'm in. And so there's all of the sadness that comes along with that, all of the loneliness that comes with that, um, all of the um, not lining up with nature. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, And again, even uh, scientists and medical experts would say they're biologically, physiologically, chromosomally, anatomically, (laughs) in every way, males and females are counterparts to one another. Yeah, that's how the body was made, and uh, that's how reproduction takes place. Even if you have to use methods that require a lot of medical intervention, still, biologically, there has to be a father and a mother in order to be a child. Yeah. Um, so it's going against everything that even the world around us would teach us right. if we would absorb and right. look. Um, But again, it it goes back to separating the body body and the soul, uh, my thinking and my physical existence. So it's it's all about how you you interpret. There's no biological facts. There's only interpretations.
0: And and, and for me on on this one, it was so just the simple phrase. and, And if you have the notes, you see it there for body under homosexuality raw material with no intrinsic identity or purpose. Yeah. So it's just the body you have, where uh, and, and so your identity and your purpose is located in the the self or the person or just your yeah. own subjective, what you bring to the table, the body you've been given has nothing to do with that. Yeah. And I, I, again, that's one of those ways, similar to the abortion um, argument in conversation that I think Piercy helps us rethink. We see how the arguments being played a little bit differently. She kind of pulls the curtains back so we can see, oh, this is what's being said yeah. here. So, yeah.
1: yeah, I appreciate too that uh, Nancy points out in her in her book um, multiple multiple examples of people who struggle with some of these desires. That to say that that's not what our bodies were designed for is not a denial of desires.
0: For right. Right. But
1: as the scripture very clearly teaches, our desires can be deceived. Yeah, We can long for and want the wrong things.
0: Yeah,
1: And uh, so she gives a lot of examples of folks who have that same-sex attraction and have wrestled with that. And who, uh, by we would say by God's grace, have come to the understanding that it's more important to try to live in conformity with the body that God has given you
0: mm-hmm.
1: than to... Try to make your body conform to what your desires are. Yeah. And th- that applies with the issue of homosexuality, but it also really applies with the issue of transgender. Yeah. Because it now it's not just, well, I can take these parts and use them however I want. Now it's, I don't want in any way to be identified with my physical body. Yeah. It's a total, total. separation. It's not just the one has precedence.
0: Uh-huh. Uh-huh.
1: You know, that kind of the, the soul has precedence over the body so you can do whatever you want with the body. Now you're saying there is absolutely no connection. Yeah. I can be a man today and I can be a woman tomorrow. Um, and then the next day I can be a man again or, mm-hmm. or, or whatever I want to be because my body has no influence, no authority, no distinctives, nothing. That bears on who I am. Mm-hmm. So you see the progression, <laughs> yeah, uh, and and how again it can lead then to all kinds of more and more difficult, strange things. She gives the example of a transgender person who uh, uh, did a documentary on themselves and who is filmed doing an au- audition for a movie where this person says why are you looking at my male parts i'm a woman and just i mean words have no meaning anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, i mean if you take this view right right and i think that's part of what they are actually driving at yeah is that there really is not any reality yeah it's all a figment of our imagination. <laughs> it's self-determined
0: yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah
1: because if there's reality there are some limitations being placed on that. Right. I don't from the want outside. any limitations. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Limitations from the outside, exactly.
0: Yeah. Right. So it's kind of a desire for autonomy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So you have to be free to be true to yourself. That's the only thing that matters. And so, in a relatively short time, um, this um, philosophic way of looking at who a person is, uh, especially about the issue of transgender, in a relatively short time, it's gone from this should be tolerated to where this is absolutely insisted upon. Mm -hmm. So much so that in various either educational realms or um, in social media, in in state laws, in municipal laws, now there is um, this promotion of this uh, of the idea that gender is kind of undefinable. I mean, uh, I think it was New York State, where they're uh, the, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I don't remember the name of the organization, but uh, maybe it's labor and labor rights. Uh-huh. Anyway, um, they now list something like 31 different genders. Wow. And if, if employers do not honor the self-identified gender of their employees, they can be subject to a two hundred and fifty thousand dollars
0: fine. Wow. Um,
1: and, and that's the thing about transgenderism; it it's actually defined as the individual's right to identify themselves. As whatever they believe themselves to be. And you don't have to prove that with surgery that's been done to make a male body look like a female body uh-huh. or vice versa. Doesn't have to be proved with a medical diagnosis. Doesn't have to be proved in any way. There, there's no um, proof required. Right. It is just based on what a person claims at the moment. Yeah. So now, um, I mean, wh- where do you even go from from there? Now uh-huh. it's not just somebody who says, well, I was born biologically a male, but I've, I believe I'm a woman. They go through hormone therapy and other physical surgery to make themselves look like a woman. And they dress like a woman and they want to use the woman's restroom. hmm uh-huh that this is not it. This is at this moment, I feel like a woman, so I should be able to go and use the woman's restroom whether I have been changed to look like a woman or not. Yeah. Um, And So you can pretty quickly see or easily see how bizarre that is to try to deal with um, even in school settings, uh, a variety of different places, but it goes back to my body, and who I am, <laughs> my soul, are two are different. totally separated things. They have no bearing on each other at all.
0: Yeah, and what you were saying there about how someone's self identification, what they really what they say about themselves, mm-hmm. um, becomes uh, really in some places publicly mandated. Yes, uh, you know, governmentally, legally backed up and supported. It's really interesting to see that against or juxtaposed against their biology because yeah. you would think and maybe you would think that one's gender biologically it is it's more verifiable it's more objective it's more public it's yeah. all of those things yeah. it's, a, it's a fact and you think certainly that would be more reliable than what someone says about themselves. And how how they perceive themselves to be right. um, their, their own identity right. but we're seeing that flipped on its head um, and so that really the the autonomous self it, the authentic self is triumphing over any type of biology or, or verifiable or creational mm-hmm. biblical um, type of, of way of thinking about that yeah and so, uh, let me transition us here to chapter seven and we'll, we'll try to wrap up here as we're approaching okay. an hour. Okay. Um, it, it goes <laughs> it, quick. We're, it we, we had more time to talk about it, it the really other night, does. but, um, in you know, chapter seven, as Bill and I talked about it, it's, it, it's certainly the hardest one to summarize yes. <laughs> of all the chapters, yes. but she, she talks about relationships in society, um, about our relationships with other and, and, and applies the same rubric and, uh, basically says that, um, instead of seeing our relationships as determined by nature, and even as a Christian, we might say just determined by creation and kind of how that manifests itself in nature. uh, Really this says biology is irrelevant to my relationship. So you can think um, parents and children, like that's irrelevant. Um, And so some have, have put forth that really every relationship we have needs to be established by a, a contract or by a choice like we need to opt in or opt out of right. every relationship we have and they some people even propose children making contracts with their parents that their yes. parents would be their parents and they would be their children mm-hmm. um, and again they're totally demolishing or just maybe not even demolishing they're just saying it's irrelevant to, to look at biology yes. look at nature um, it's all about autonomy and, and self and what what I want to do about mm-hmm. choice so um, that's my attempt to summarize it. You, you can add to it or uh, we can... That,
1: that, that's actually a very, very good summary of it um, is, yes, that all the relationships are established by choice. Yeah. And it's, I, I enter into that relationship based on the benefit that I believe it will bring to me. And at any time, I'm free to opt out. So you can see how that leads to cancel culture and uh-huh. to all these other things where... Uh, that there's no understanding uh, or commitment to. I think it would be okay to say inalienable yeah. human rights. Right, there are none. Yeah, because we are only responsible for what we agree to.
0: Yeah, and it and and you just got to go read the chapter because she even links that to um, like the state, the government having more authority over your children. Yes. Than you as a parent would, even though as a parent, you're bio- you yeah, are biologically right. connected. They are literally half of you, yeah. <laughs> or, you know, gene wise. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but this idea of contract and choice, um, somebody's got to verify that or approve that. And so it right. goes to governmental um, power. So it's just really yeah. interesting to look at that. Um, but we'll, we'll try to land the plane here. Um, I, I really appreciate the work you've done on this bill and just sharing this. Um, again, the, I think the big picture in all of this is that so much of the thinking that we're surrounded by has put a, a wall up between self and our body, um, making the body, um, either demeaning the body or making the body irrelevant, um, lowering our view of the body, um, and, and, really, Um, putting all of our stock in this autonomous and subjective self um, that we get to define who we are, or we get to define who other people are. Um, You know, we get to say when they're a person. Yeah. um, And so it has consequences for others um, as well. And that's, uh, you know, as we said earlier, that's in contrast to the biblical view that God has made us soul. God has made us body. He's put us together that that is what we are. Um, and so if we stand upon the scriptural teaching, that lines up with biology. And, and as we say biology, biology is just another way of saying creation or what God yeah. <laughs> what God yes. has intended, how he's designed things to be. Yeah. And so um, really we see that biblical teaching, biological understanding go together mm-hmm. on these issues. And it's really this, this other category of personhood theory and all that it results in that's in opposition to yeah. both biology and scriptural teaching yeah. um, on, on all these different areas. So I um, encourage you all to, to co- go read the book. Um, it's, it's phenomenal. It's a really great read, and she's got some phenomenal difficult questions in the back that you can study on, by your, on your own or talk about with friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll say one more thing before I ask you kind of where do we go from here. Um, one of the, the arguments Piercy makes is that this this way of thinking that our, our culture has is actually a low view of the body. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it may not seem like that on the surface. It may seem like a high view because there's there's a, a big focus on the body in some ways, but it's actually a really low view because the body just becomes a collection of cells. It's yes. irrelevant to who we are as people. Um, but scripture offers a much higher, much more honored, much more dignified, beautiful view of the body um and again if if you didn't if you weren't at christ community if you don't go to christ Community, if you don't hear the sermon this past week i encourage you to go go listen to it on our website or on our podcast feed um because it first corinthians um, 6 paul talks about that very thing and it lines Mm -hmm. up with this just so well um but let me just ask you bill kind of with all of this in mind where where do we go what do we do with this
1: yeah um i really we could uh go for a long time (laughs) talking about that. But as I think about it, I I believe there are four core responses that we should make. And the first one is to pray. Um, We we need to pray for ourselves. We need to pray for one another. We need to pray for our culture, Um, maybe specifically in two ways For, for those who do know Christ to be able to have the wisdom and understanding of God's word to know what to say and to be able to say it boldly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was struck by that uh, a few days ago with our discipleship group, reading in Ephesians 6 about uh, the put on the full armor of God. And the way Paul ends that passage is he says um, not only to pray for one another, but he says, pray also for me. This is Paul, uh-huh. a very, uh, very knowledgeable guy, very yeah. bold guy, but listen to his prayer request. Pray for me. That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Hmm. So what a beautifully humble, confident <laughs> encouragement to us to pray. And it's no less applicable to us right now. Yeah. We, we need the ability to speak boldly the truth in humility. And we have the biblical yeah. example for that. So that's one aspect of prayer. The other one is recognize this is a spiritual battle. We're not going to win it with physical weapons. Yeah. Um, we, we desperately, desperately need the Holy Spirit to bring revival and renewal, to change hearts, to bring people out of darkness into light. Um, so pray that God will pour out his spirit. So, first thing is prayer. Second thing is seeking to understand. I mm-hmm. was reminded recently in our uh, reading through the Bible program, which is yeah. great. By the way, I'll put a plug in for that. There you go. Um, in uh, in First Chronicles, um, actually, I think i have read something else that led me to it because we're not in First. Chronicles I haven't read yet. First Chronicles yeah. yet. <laughs> <laughs> but read your Bible yeah, um, <laughs> regularly. Um, but in uh, in uh, in First Chronicles, where it talks about uh, David when he's about to become king of all of Israel, how uh, the different tribes came. And one tribe that is mentioned is the men of Issachar, men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. And uh, so we need to seek that same understanding, know our times, know what we ought to do. And uh, the Bible itself tells us uh, Psalm 119 is a good place. The unfolding of your words gives light and imparts understanding to the simple. Mm. So we need to seek to understand our times mm-hmm. and our scripture. Yeah. So pray, seek to understand. The third thing is we need to be salty salt and mm. light, light. Salty salt. <laughs> yeah, because salt that isn't salty, Jesus says is useless. Yeah. And, and Jesus doesn't command us to be salt. He says that we are salt. So we're either salty salt or we're not salty salt. Mm. <laughs> mm. And, and salt preserves. It also gives flavor. We need to be able to enjoy and live in a good, healthy, biblical view of our bodies and show the world by how differently we live, how much better it is. You know, we shouldn't shy away from things like a Christian view of sex, Mm -hmm. a Christian view of our bodies, a Christian view of family, a Christian view of children with disabilities. Yeah. A Christian view of older people who, because of health or, or even issues like to mention Alzheimer's. Why should we treat people right. who are suffering with that as any less of a person?
0: Yeah. It, is not?
1: It's wrong on both ends of mm-hmm. the life spectrum. Yeah. It, it, it's wrong when we treat somebody with a different skin color.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, there, there are so many ways in which we could actually be salty.
0: Yeah. And man...
1: Our, our culture is bland,
0: yeah,
1: and it needs salt.
0: It's You way would to think, yeah,
1: you know, with all the promotion of all the stuff, it's exciting and thrilling, but it's not. It's right. empty and lonely and right. desperate, right? And uh, so, mm. if we're salty, saltier salt, I guess. Yeah. It should be, and light. You know, Jesus said it doesn't. You don't light a light and put it under a bushel. You know, it's not just a quaint little illustration for kids in Sunday school. It's for us. yeah you know, we, we need to be willing to live differently. Yeah So uh, pray, seek to understand, be salt and light, and then uh, the fourth thing is welcome as mm. Christ does mm. um, to you know the more we understand our own sin <laughs> and our own frailty, uh, the more we understand the richness of God's grace and the more ready we are to show it to others. And we need to show it to the folks who have had abortions and are afraid to admit that. Yeah. Um, I was struck in Nancy's book several times. She mentioned young ladies she knew who had had abortions, Christian girls who had had abortions. And the reason they had them was because they were afraid that their church would reject them if they had a baby out of wedlock. So never told anybody. It's tragic. It is. It is. It's, it's 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 horrible but a lot of times we can convey pride well, well we are prideful and we can convey a lack of acceptance a rejection a harshness yeah and uh we we need to convey to people that we are those desperate starving people who have found something good to eat and we want to share it with yeah. them so uh a willingness to accept people as jesus does we'll speak the truth about their sin uh, but we will show love to them yeah. in their current circumstances and a, a longing and a desire that they would come to know Jesus. That I think that would make a radical, radical difference.
0: Yeah. How, how ironic it is or it would be if understanding this biblical view of humanity led us to treat others as less than image bearers of God. Yeah. Like that would be the yeah, exact yeah. opposite of what yes. we thought we just learned. Yes, um, but instead, this should cause us to look at every person, whether they agree with us, whether they disagree, whatever sins they they, they have, as image bearers of God, just like us. Yeah. and um, we can see them and treat them as people. Yeah, um, I think that's so helpful, um, and I, yeah. I I really appreciate that. Um, you know, your final kind of where do we go from here, um, is, is to engage in a loving, hospitable, welcoming way with others. Because at the end of the day, what does our world need? They need the hope of the gospel. They need the truth of God's word. They need to, to steal the title. They need to love thy body. Yeah. Because that it's not, that's not bad news. That's actually really good news. Yeah. That that my body is a gift from the Lord to me. Yeah. And yeah, for those right. listening, your body, the very body that you have, yes, is a gift from God to you. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's part of who you are, very integral yeah. part of who you are. It's not an opposition right. to who you are. And that right. that's so that's such good news.
1: It really is. It really is. Our our value is found. Not on what we possess in ourselves, but in the God who redeemed us and rescued us. And that makes us precious in his sight. Amen. So so we need to convey to people who are so lonely and desperate right now. Amen. So we ought to be praying that our churches would be full of people from these lifestyles. Right, right. (laughs) Because they're desperate and they want to know that there's something out there. Yeah. That'll answer deepest needs of their hearts. Yeah. So, would we accept them?
0: <laughs> Amen. Well, listeners, we hope and pray that this um, has been equipping for you in your thinking and um, really propelling you to to love those around you well. So, yeah. Pastor Bill, I yeah. appreciate it. Thanks for joining us here.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for your help with us, AJ. Yeah. Very much. I so much appreciate that. I appreciate our listeners' patience.
0: Yeah. Even if this is <laughs> if part part two, it's still for you there. To <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye.